With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This week on Made For This, we are talking about being obsessive in the midst of no control. This year, it feels like over anything, a lot of us get really controlling. And so we're going to talk about it today. We're so glad you're here. You are listening to the Made For This podcast. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James 1, 2-8. I believe that this is such an important issue because our brains are hardwired to solve problems. So when we get in the midst of 2020 where there's 8 million problems and it feels like there's no end to the problems, our brain's working really hard on overdrive to try to solve it all, to try to figure out what is it and how do I get out of this mess and how do I fix it and how do I make it right again? And so what happens is we become obsessive. And guys, this one's so convicting for me. I actually thought when I was going to teach this one that, you know what, I'm not that bad at that. And then I started noticing (laughs) what I do to cope. And one of my coping, we've talked about coping here before. One of my coping strategies is to get my car cleaned. I know that sounds like a healthy coping strategy, but the reality is it is a controlling thing. I love my car clean. Now, let me tell you how this moves from healthy, good to have a car clean, to unhealthy, psycho about having your car clean. I have four kids and two of them are at college, yes, but they come home a lot. So my daughter comes home plenty. She came home a few weeks ago and I had just had my car clean and my car's always pretty clean because everybody knows I don't keep my life clean. Like my house isn't always clean, but my car's almost always clean. And I think it's that it's a domain I can control and keep clean even though I have four kids, because I can just get everything out when I walk inside and dump it inside. I don't keep everything clean. I mean it, but my car is clean. And so it's just one little area I can somewhat control. And so my daughter is home. They borrow my car. Um, She had gotten a ride home from college and they borrow my car, my two girls to go get matcha. We are obsessed with matcha from La La Land. If you ever come to Dallas, that's your coffee shop. It's adorable and has the best matcha on earth. It is so good. And now a lot of you will not like it. It tastes like grass, but I love it. And so they were there getting me a matcha and themselves a matcha and they put it in the cup holders and they put mine in the back seat in a drink carrier with no cup holder, even though there were cup holders right there. The whole thing with all the oat milk and the whatever green, super green, if you haven't ever had it, spills all over the back of my car. Okay. 
no problem, but I have to go get a pretty intense detail that's pretty expensive to get it all cleaned up. So this was Kate's fault. She's going to love that she has no say in this, but it was her fault. And so I pay for the expensive thing. I'm like, you know what? It's fine. People make mistakes. No big deal. Didn't overreact. Still in a healthy world, right? In fact, I was kind of happy. I got the fancy detail I haven't gotten in forever. My, my carpets had stains on them. I got them all out. It was kind of a win. I was like, hey, I never would justify this expensive detail, but I had to for the milk and the green stuff in my car. I got a great wash. So then she comes home again recently. This is like a week, week and a half later. She just comes home for a day with a friend to take care of some stuff. She comes home and we're running errands and she brings a coffee in, in the car. You see where this is going. And the coffee doesn't fit in the cup holder. I don't notice that. So she just sets it on top of the cup holder. And I turn and the coffee spills all over the seat, all over my car. And now it's the second time this has happened. And now I just had my car detailed a week before and I lose my mind. I mean, I rage at my college girl. I lost my mind. Now, it's hard for me. I mean, it's not that I never struggle with anger. It's just that I don't often yell and I don't often rage, but I raged. I mean, I was yelling. I was like, I understand you're going to make mistakes. Just don't make the same mistakes twice. Like, let's make different mistakes. Like, I'm giving her a full-blown lecture with my you know, pretty much adult child that's home from college and I'm so happy to see. Now, what I want to say about this is that I've analyzed it and my reaction to my car is it's not necessarily materialistic. I don't really care about the car itself. That's not it. In fact, I don't care about the car really at all. It's that I care about control and it's the only little domain in my life that I really do control. Because my house is a bit crazy and my even my room is pretty messy. I live with a boy, you know, he's lives here in this room and I live with kids in the rest of the house. So there's really not another place that I feel like ownership over and I can control over. It's funny, whenever I get stressed, y'all are going to think I'm crazy. Y'all are going to like try to get me counseling after this episode for this issue. Um, I'm not OCD about everything. I'm OCD about two things, my bed and my car. I don't know why I, those are the two things, but I, no germs in my bed. Ever, never, ever. And don't screw up my car. Like, just keep it clean. But here's the reality, guys. Whenever work gets stressful, or when <laughs> I can't believe I'm announcing this to all of you, whenever work gets stressful or something feels totally out of control, I go get my car washed. <laughs> it's like my thing. I, I, I know it's weird. I, it, I'm just saying it's deep, and I know it's notably based on control. So. In the pandemic, you know, all the car washes were closed or, or they'd let you drive through, but they wouldn't actually vacuum or do anything. And I have a place that you can get like a $12 car wash. We're not talking about $100 every few weeks. It's like $12 to get your car washed. And so I, but I, gosh, it's a good $12. And so I can't get my car washed. And, and you guys, we've got a whole team of people that I'm worried about their jobs, right? That I support with If Gathering. We've got health issues and crises around us. We've got, you know, issues of friends that are going through hell right now that some of them did have to lay off people that they love and we were part of that with them like we were going through real life stuff it's not like we were padded from everything and like living in some weird happy existence where the car really was such a big deal it's just that everyday thing that that gets in your brain and you fixate on it and you think this will this will make it better right like this will make it better. And and let me, I'm using the car as a stupid example, but let me give you a few others. Food, weight, right? How many of you think about your weight or what you're eating and calories a lot? 
right? How many of you think about brands and clothes and shopping a lot? How many of you think about what your kids are going to do for college or maybe kindergarten? A lot. We tend to get obsessive and controlling when life is out of control. And we fixate on something that we can control. That's the hope. That's what I'm doing, right? It's it's not the car itself. I don't care. Like Technically speaking, I don't care if my car is clean. It's that I can clean it and I can keep it clean. It's a possibility where my house isn't totally a possibility. And I would fight with my husband. I'm looking around. He's got his shoes out and books. Actually, I've got more mess in this room right now. He's got a t-shirt out. I'm in my bedroom. So it's just harder to control everything else. And so I could control that. It's it's about control. And so what do we do when everything's out of control? We look for the thing that we can control. So I want to read to you James 1, 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith is producing steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Now, I read this verse specifically because there's a promise in it. There's a promise of steadfastness that comes from trials. That is not exactly what obsessive behavior is communicating to me or to the people I love. It is not a steadfastness. It is psycho, right? Like I'm losing my mind over spilled coffee. It's not reasonable. It's not steadfast. It's not reasonable. And I think what we've got to be aware of is we've got to notice those things. It's it's part of get out of your head. It's it's noting your thoughts and starting to mind them. Like what are we, what is our mind thinking about and how do we enter that and bring life and truth to it? We can't unless we know it, what it is we're thinking about. So for me with the losing my mind on Kate, I kind of had to step back and go, what is it? Is it really that, I mean, honestly, a little bit of resolve in a towel, that one got cleaned up, but that one didn't need my entire car to be suctioned out. That one was was pretty easy to clean up. What is it? What is the the craziness. And I think it is just, if I can get everything just so, then pain and suffering cannot touch me, which is just not true. It's just never true. It's so unfortunate that it's not true, but it's not true. We cannot protect our lives from pain. We cannot protect our lives from suffering. We cannot control our lives. So we count it joy when these trials of various kinds, I love that he says various kinds, when your kid spills their coffee, when you go through financial hardship, when you're in a fight with your friend or your spouse, when work piles up, when you don't know whether to send your kid to this school or this school, like various kinds of trials That is building a perseverance in you, a faith that produces steadfastness. And when it has its full effect, you're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's such an unbelievable promise. Now, perfect and complete and lacking nothing, probably not going to happen on this side of heaven, you know, right? We're going to be in process till we get home. And so we know that, that we are in process till we get to heaven. But that perfect and complete is, is happening to us. Things are being worked out for good in our lives. We are being transformed into the image of God. These are all promises from scripture. It's happening to us. And I think that's the coolest promise of this is that in this crazy year, I believe the fruit of it is going to be 
steadfastness. I believe we are going to be less obsessed with control because we realized, surprise, we don't have any. And if we could get in touch with that, if we could actually let it have its way in us, like, hey, controlling your small little things, it's not helping. It's a distraction really from from the work that, that God wants to do in you. It's a distraction from the story he wants to tell through you. I have a friend that I got to have coffee with recently and she was telling me about a struggle with eating and it just being so consuming in her mind and and she'd had such a breakthrough, like s- something had changed her and she was free and she was radically different and her eyes were just lit up telling me and the main thing she was grateful for is I just have margin to think about other people. I have more margin to be consumed with with other things besides eating and food and I think that's the lie of the enemy is that in our search for control and trying to make everything work and protect ourselves and build this perfect life, he's got us because all of our energy is going to have to go through that. And the irony is, is we won't have a perfect and complete life. But God says, if you rest in that, if you receive the trials that you're going to face rather than fight them, I'm going to produce perfection and completeness in you. So no, your life won't be perfect, but the work I do in you will be. That's our hope. That's the promise. Man, it's a good one. Okay, I'm going to answer a few of your questions now. I like this one. I have obsessed over food, my appearance, money, activity, my kids for so long, and I don't even know where to begin. Where do I start? You start by doing what you just did in that question. You start by laying it out. What are the things you're thinking about? And why are you thinking about them so much? Why are they consuming your thoughts? Why are you giving unhealthy reactions or disproportionate reactions to things going wrong in certain parts of your life? Is there a deeper desire? Is there a deeper thing that you want or that you need? Where do you start? You just start by writing them down. What are your thoughts? And start to look for a theme. There's probably a theme over all of it. If you're worried about your parents, money, your kids, your activities, if you're worried about all of that all the time, there's probably an overwhelming theme. You know, I think about my book, Nothing to Prove. I struggled with an eating disorder in college and in young adulthood. And I look back at my performance issues that carried me into my 30s and I look back at feeling like I was disappointing people in the beginning of If Gathering constantly and I saw this theme, right? These were all different subjects, different stages of life, but there was a theme. I was trying to prove myself in all settings, wherever I was, that's what I was striving to do was to prove myself to other people. So you can usually lay it all out and start to see a theme. When you find that theme, that's the thing you got to fight. You got to realize it's a lie you got to fight it like it's the devil because it is. And you got to use community and prayer and all the weapons that 2 Corinthians 10 talks about, the divine weapons that, that God's given us to destroy strongholds. you got to treat it like a stronghold and you got to fight it. Next question. How would I know if something I'm passionate about has become an unhealthy obsession? <laughs> well, the car is really a great example because caring about having a clean car, or clean house or whatever, that's a great thing. That should be a healthy thing. But when my reaction to my family is so disproportionate to what they've done, I've got to notice like that reaction is a sign that I have made an idol out of something. I doubt that I made an idol out of my car, right? That wasn't it. But I'd made an idol out of controlling things that I thought I could control. And so I think 
that's where when you see your reactions to that thing, instead of a passion that like you just love that thing and delight in that thing and you love working out and you love making healthy meals and all that, when it becomes that if you can't have a healthy meal and all they're serving is cheeseburgers and you're, you can't eat it and it isn't because of your health, like a gluten allergy or something like that, it's because you just can't eat unhealthy food, that's where you've got to go man, I'm making an idol out of this. I'm trying to control this so much so that I can't even enjoy a meal with my family or friends. And so that's that's really my my gauge on that. How can my faith change what I fixate on? Well, I mean, Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Like the only thing we're to fixate our, our mind on is Jesus Christ. So and, and in fixing our eyes on Jesus, we're to run the race that's set before us and throw off the the hindrances and sins that entangle us. So there's this storyline of activity that we're running in motion, on mission, doing the thing God set us on earth to do, all the while fixing our eyes on Jesus and all the while throwing off the sin and weight that encumbers us. And the sin and weight can be those distractions, right? It doesn't always, I love that it says sin and hindrances. Sometimes a hindrance is just a distraction that's that's built up over time that is taking away that fixation on Jesus and that race that he's called you to. So noting what those are and realizing that they can, even simple positive things that that get too much of your mind and energy can really start to take away from the mission that God's given you and your relationship and primary calling to be with God and to think of others. Okay, here's another one. I feel like more discipline and dying to self has not worked in my battle against my fixations. What am I missing? Well, that was, I mean, let's take a serious one for me now. And that was when I had an eating disorder. And in that time period, it took a lot of time. I, it took a lot of time to get into that mess. And it took a lot of time to get out of it and to change the patterns of my mind and to t- start to realize the power I had over my thoughts. And there are times for medical intervention where you just truly, you know, you have diagnosable OCD or, or an eating disorder or something that you need medical help with. So let me just say that first and foremost, be sure and check it out medically to make sure that you don't need more help chemically or even just within something as big as an eating disorder. But I would say then you, either way, even if you do need medical help, we still all have to do the work of our mind and training our mind, disciplining our mind. And it's not easy or fun. It, it's training our mind to godliness. It's It takes work. It's training. It, it's, it's very active. Taking a thought captive, that's very active and takes a lot of effort. So I think we've got to not be afraid of the work of it. You're not going to miraculously get out of this space, right? You've been in it for a long time. You've thought about it for a long time. You've got to do the work of digging out, but that work is possible. That work matters and it really can change the trajectory of your time in life. And I look back at myself stuck in that eating disorder and I praise God that he set me free. I praise God that he put the conviction in my heart to and the tools to dig my way out of that. And, and it did take time, but it was it was worth it and praise God on the other side of that, just like my friend, I have more margin and space and time to think of others more than I think about myself, more than I thought about food. And for that, I'm so grateful. One weekend, thousands and thousands and thousands of you gathering together with one purpose, to come before God and to ask the question, How do you want us to live? Guys, this is the story of If Gathering. Women from all different backgrounds, women from all different countries, women from all different races and and ages. And guys, we need this more than ever to come together and to imagine what does it look like 
to come together and to see God move in our day. Guys, it's the vision of my life and I have not lost hope. We want you to join together with us, March 5th and 6th. We want you to gather your people. We're not gonna be alone. We're gonna be with a handful of leaders. We're gonna be leading this thing live together. And we want you to be there. We want you to be in your place with your people, imagining with us. Do not miss IF 2021. It will be the most important IF we've ever had. You guys, IF Gathering 2021 is coming March 5th and 6th, and we cannot wait. We will be coming to you live from North Carolina, but you get to watch or stream from anywhere, no matter where you are in the world. Tickets go on sale December 8th, but if you sign up to be the first to know about tickets at if2021.com, you get to buy tickets a day early on December 7th because we have these incredible bonus passes that sell out really quick. When you get a bonus pass, you get a box mailed to your house extra content the weekend of and so much more so make sure you go to if2021.com sign up to be the first to know about tickets and we will see you on march 5th and 6th for if gathering 2021